Good morning, Harvest. How are we doing? Good. Do me a favor. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 6. We're going to be in Ephesians 6 uh, this morning. Wasn't it nice to have John Guerra here uh, leading us in worship? Um, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, we can thank him. He can hear us back there. Um, I was talking with him last night, and uh, we first met 15 years ago. We went to Moody together, and uh, that makes me feel old that it was that long ago. But here's what I would tell you about John. Even 15 years ago, um, every room he walked into, it was very, very clear who the most talented person in the room was, and it was John. Every classroom, every chapel, and um, I would say 15 years later, that's still the case. Um, But what I love about John is, is as talented as he is, he is equally humble, kind, and sincere in his love for Christ and others. And um, I don't know how much he explained, but he's helped write a lot of the songs with our team that we've written for our church, and he has been such a sweet and kind friend. So it was a blessing to my heart to have him here. I hope you were blessed as well. And um, we're going to be in Ephesians 6 this morning. Um, Give me um, some grace this morning. I'm fighting a little bit of a head cold. So if I take a couple more sips of water than usual, or if my voice sounds weird, um, I promise it's because I'm sick. It's not because I'm going through puberty again. Um, We'll see how that goes. Um, But we are um, looking forward to this passage, and we're going to do things a little bit different. Um, Paul is hitting on two topics in Ephesians 6. He's going to hit first, the first four verses in this passage, he's going to talk about the parent-child relationship. And then the next five verses, he's going to talk about submission in the context of work. And we're actually going to attack this backwards. We're going to start at verse 5 and then jump back to verse 1. And my plan is, is I'm going to hit the issue of submission to authority in about 90 seconds. And here's why. Um, first of all, we've hit a lot on the idea of submission to authority over the last two years. Even as I say submission to authority, some of you are thinking to yourself, please not that again, and um, that's fair. So we've hit on this a lot, so I'm going to touch on that briefly. But the other reason I want to do this is I think one of the most pressing issues in people's lives as I meet with them and talk with them is conflict with parents or with kids or with in-laws. And I get asked all the time, in the midst of difficult or broken relationships, what does it mean to honor your parents or obey them? And what does this look like practically? So I want to give as much help as I can to that issue today. And my goal this morning, if I do my job well, I want to be helpful. I want to be clarifying, but I also want to be convicting. And I'm going to say some hard things uh, this morning, if you're okay with that. And I am hoping that the Lord and his spirit moves through my words and through his word and that we leave here changed. So if you're ready, say, I'm ready. All right, let's get into it. Look at verse five. Here's what he says. He says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not in the way by eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, that this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or free. Masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. All right, there's one clear principle Paul's laying out here and it's this, work under the reality of Jesus's authority, right? Paul is saying, hey, get your eyes off of your boss and get them on to Christ. So, so very, very clearly, like what I want to communicate is your boss is not your boss. Jesus is. 
And that's actually really, really good news because whether or not your boss on earth is fair or good or kind, it doesn't matter because we have a master who is in heaven who is good and faithful and kind. And what Paul's saying is, is work hard, work as unto the Lord. When you go to bed at night, can you look yourself in the mirror and said, I gave my all because I was serving Christ, whether or not my boss deserved it. And then to those of you who are the boss, here's what Paul's saying, you're still not the boss but you have a master who is in heaven who you're gonna give an account to. So whether it's the pe- treating the people who work for you or if you work for yourself and how you engage with your business partners or, or in everything that we do, we should be saying, hey, I'm l- conducting my life in a way that would honor Christ. All right, I told you that would be quick, but that's the principle around work. Remember who your boss is. It's Jesus. All right, now look at verse one. He says this, He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You know, it's funny. I was thinking this week, 10 years ago, I probably wouldn't have felt comfortable to preach this passage. 10 years ago, if I would have gotten this text, I would have been like, hey, dad, can you take this one? Let me switch weeks with you. Here's why, because 10 years ago, my girls were one, right? I just had infants and I, Mary and I were still figuring out parenting and marriage and all of these things. Well, now 10 years later, my girls are fifth graders. So I have two fifth graders. I've got a third grader and a first grader. So I'm like crushing the elementary school thing. And I have over a decade of serving and leading in high school and junior high ministry. And I don't need to have junior hires of my own to get them, right? I can, I can be an expert right now. What do you think about that? Yeah, the Saturday night service laughed at me too. So maybe I'm not a complete expert, but I feel like I've got some um, credibility in this topic. And um, look at verse one again. We're gonna talk first about this idea of obedience. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Okay, so here's what we need to know about obedience. Here's the first thing we need to know. It's for children. Paul is addressing this to young children who are still under their parents' authority and care, are in the home and are dependent on their parents for survival. He's saying, if you are dependent on your parents, you need to obey. And um, so I think in our context, we can probably say that this applies through high school. Although I think another good rule is, is if it's your parents' house and that's where you're living, their house, their rules, right? If you are not independent from your folks, your call is to obey. Well, what does obedience mean? It's very, very simple. Do what you're told and do it with a good attitude. It's that clear. Again, this is simple. He's saying to children, your job is to obey your parents. Do what you're told, do it respectfully with a good attitude and anything outside of these bounds is sinful disobedience. And um, here's the thing. Even if your parents' rules aren't necessarily over a sin issue, for you to disobey is still sin. So if your parents set a curfew that is 10 o'clock at night, is there anything inherently evil about 10, 15? No, but it would still be wrong for you to be out till 10, 15 because you're breaking your parents' rules. Their rules, your job is to obey. It's funny, when I was in high school ministry, some of you who were my former high school students might remember this, we would always do a uh, weekend on dating and relationships. It'd be like a three-weekend series. And we'd always end with a Q&A. 
and we'd let, allow the kids to submit questions. We'd bring a panel up and we'd answer. And one of the questions I would always get was, is it wrong to date? And I knew what was happening. There was a kid in my youth ministry whose parents weren't allowing them to date and they were trying to weaponize me so they could go back to mom and say, Pastor Cal says it's okay to date, why can't I date? And so my answer would always be, I don't think dating's wrong unless your parents say dating's wrong because your job is to obey your parents. They set the rules, so it is wrong for you to date if your parents don't allow it. Children's job is to obey. Um, this might date me a little bit, but back in the late 90s, early 2000s, when I was in junior high and high school, there was this big fad that was sweeping the nation, and it was guys getting gold hoop earrings. Anyone remember that? All right, anyone bold enough to say I was a guy that had a gold hoop earring, you know, a few years ago? Okay, I, I see you back there. Um, and, and it was like this cool thing. It was this fad, and my mom absolutely hated it. And when my friends would come over, they'd have an earring, and she'd be like, oh, you're training up to be a pirate, aren't you, right? Like, she thought the whole thing was stupid. She hated them, and she goes, Cal, there's a rule in our house. And I was like, what's that? She goes, if you ever come home with a golden hoop earring, I will kill you. <laughs> and by the way, I believed her. I never got an earring. That was the rule. The reason I'm standing here today is because I obeyed my parents. The only time it would be okay for you to not obey your parents is if they're openly asking you to sin. And here's what I would say. In my history here at this church, we've dealt with thousands of young people. I've only had one instance in my career where that's been the case. 99.99% of the time, your job is really easy. If you're under your parents' authority, if you are dependent on them for survival, obey your parents, do what they ask. But here's the third point, and this is really, really key. Um, obedience is the foundation for a successful life. Obedience to your parents sets the trajectory for a successful life. Church, just because this is simple doesn't mean it's not important. I actually believe the most important indicator for whether or not someone is going to live a happy and successful life is do they obey and do they respect their parents, right? Think about it. The parents are the child's first authority. And if they can't get that right, if they can't respect and obey and have a good attitude with their parents, how is that going to go with the rest of the authority they're going to live under the rest of their life? All of us live under authority. We're under the rule and reign of Jesus first and foremost. But we have teachers and coaches and bosses and the police. And listen, I have had kids in my youth group where the second they walked in, it was very, very clear, I'm not going to listen to anyone. I'm going to do whatever I want. And their lives were often filled with jail, with addiction, with getting kicked out of school, with getting kicked off of sports teams. And it all started in the home. And some of you are looking at me right now like, Cal, you don't understand my kid. He came out of the womb defiance. Well, what I'm saying is, as parents, this is a battle you have to win early and you have to win decisively and you have to keep fighting because it will set the trajectory for your child's life. Here's a free piece of advice. Um, people will always often ask me, how do I know if the person I'm dating, should I marry them or not? Oftentimes, uh, girls will come to me and say, I've got this boyfriend, he's really cute, but I don't know if he's the one. What advice would you have? Here's the best piece of advice I have. If you want to know how someone's gonna treat you in marriage, look at how they treat their mom and their sisters. Right? Those are the first closest women in their life that they have a relationship with, and if they're disrespectful and rude and intimidate and don't listen to like, what would make you think that all of that's not coming down the pipe for you someday soon? 
But if they're respectful and kind and gracious and obedient and loving, you can have confidence that you're going to be treated well. It sets the trajectory for your whole life. Look at verse 2. It says this, it says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so what we need to understand here is honoring is different than obey. And honor is for everyone. So while obedience is for children, we're all called to honor our parents, no matter what age we are, no matter what our parents are like. This is true for all of us. Do me a favor, turn to your neighbor and say, you're called to honor your parents. And some of you are like, all right, Cal, prove that. Like, how do, how do you know? And here's how I know. Because this was listed in the Ten Commandments. Paul is bringing the reader's attention back to the Ten Commandments, which is God's moral law for everyone. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Don't have any idols. Um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like, all of these commands, they're for everyone. There's no out clause. These apply to all people at all times. So the question is, is what does it mean to honor? I think this is where things get really, really tricky for people. Well, let's start with what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you still have to do everything your parents tell you to. If you're out of the house and you have your own family, honor does not mean do whatever they ask you to. Um, It doesn't mean that you have to have a close relationship with them, right? There are some of you in here that Um, It would not be healthy or safe or good because of decisions that your parents have made or choices they've made in life to have a close relationship with them. It wouldn't be safe for your children to expose them to grandma and grandpa. It doesn't mean you have to do the things the same way your parents did. It doesn't mean they get to set the agenda for how you spend your time. When I would do premarital counseling, one of the questions I would always ask the couples is, hey, have you talked about holidays? And they'd be like, no, we haven't thought about it. And we're like, well, you better come up with a plan because Mama A is going to have a plan and Mama B is going to have a plan. And if you're not talking about it and on the same page, you're setting yourself up for a lot of conflict. You guys set the agenda as a new family. Okay, so if that's what it doesn't mean, here's what it does mean. It means, and I stole this from Tim Keller, who is a pastor in New York and way smarter than I am. And he says, honoring your folks is a decision to treat your parents with dignity and courtesy and a long-term loyalty to their best interests. That regardless of how your parents raised you, regardless of your relationship with them, it is our calling to treat our parents with dignity and courtesy and a long-term loyalty to their best interests, regardless of whether or not they deserve it. So I wanna get really, really practical here to help. Here are three ways we can honor our parents well. The first one, um, do whatever is in your power to show kindness and deference to your parents. Do whatever you can to be kind and defer to what they would like, if at all possible. Um, Some of you may know my mother-in-law. Her name is Lori Moeller. And I would just say that I won the mother-in-law jackpot. She is a sweet woman. She's a kind woman. Her and Mary have a close relationship. She's such a great grandma. She's so supportive of our family. Like she is amazing in so many ways. But here's what you need to know about Lori. That woman loves herself a good family picture. Like she loves it a lot. So what that means is every time we gather together for Thanksgiving or Christmas or 4th of July, or President's Day, or any random Tuesday. It's like, hey, can we all get together and have a family picture? And and so guess what we do? 
We call each other and make sure we're not wearing clothes that clash, and we gather all the kids, which is a huge herd uh, of kids, and we take half an hour and fight the whining and screaming and crying, and we gather together and we take a family picture. Why? Trust me, it's not because we love family pictures, right? I've never once woke up and been like, man, I'm so looking forward to taking a family picture today. It's because we love Lori, and it's because we know that means a lot to her, and We love her and we can defer to what she wants out of honor and respect. Does that make sense? Some of you have grown up in a house where your parents didn't drink. And you, when you got married and as you got older, you made the choice to drink alcohol. Here's a really good way to honor your parents. Don't drink in front of them. Don't rub the differences you've made as a family in their face. Show deference, show kindness, even if the relationship is difficult or tense. To honor means we do whatever we can to move towards kindness. Here's the second way. Um, We can honor our parents by living in a way that reflects well on them. Live in a way that reflects well on them. And... um, You know, it's interesting, as I was writing this, I was thinking of actually our drummer this week, Ben Lewis. Ben's a a kid in his 20s. He's part of our church. He serves faithfully. And here's the truth. I've never met Ben's parents before. I have no idea who they are. I don't have any context for what his childhood is like. But because of the person that Ben is and his love for the Lord and desire to serve and his faithfulness and his attitude and his soberness about the things of the Lord, my assumption is, is he had great parents. Does that make sense? Like the way he lives, even though I don't know his folks, reflect well on them because of the young man he has become. So by the way we live and conduct ourselves, we have the opportunity to bring honor or shame to our parents. And here's the beauty of this principle. It has nothing to do with them. They cannot deserve it. They they can have, you could have had bad parents, but you can still live in a way that honors them by your diligence to follow the Lord and love others and care for others. It can be completely independent of your parents in that And then here's the third way we honor our parents, and this one's huge. You have to forgive them. You have to forgive them. Part of honoring your folks is choosing to recognize that your folks aren't perfect, and you can choose to forgive them for their shortcomings and to love them rather than becoming embittered for all of the things they did or didn't do. And and church, here's what I would say. I think that this is only possible. Like, listen, let's be honest. So many of us have been shaped so deeply by our parents, good, bad, or indifferent, right? And when there is hurt from the parent relationship, that's something that's very, very hard to release. We can only do that if we truly believe that God is our perfect heavenly father and that everything that we need for life and relationship and care and support can be found in him. Right? You want to know what your heavenly father is like? Read the story of the prodigal son. And some of you are like, well, I didn't grow up with folks and they weren't around for me. Well, you know what? You know that God draws near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit and it says that he always perfectly draws near to us when we draw near to him, when we live out of our right identity that God is our father and he is good and he is perfect and he is endlessly loving, then we can forgive our parents for what they did or didn't do. It's gonna be impossible without a gospel identity. You know, it's funny. Um, I've had a couple meetings with, with couples who, and we're really struggling with bitterness towards their folks. 
And they're like, man, my folks, they didn't raise us right, and they did all of these things that were wrong, and they were hypocrites. And they're like, you know what? I really want to go back, and I want to sit them down, and I want to tell them all the ways they failed me. And my advice to them is, is, no, that's not what you're called to do. You're actually called to forgive them, to release the debt, to release the bitterness, and do whatever you can to honor them and move towards kindness All right, we're going to change gears here. Look at verse 4. We're going to talk about the parents and their role in this process. It says this. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Right? So Paul has just established in chapter 5 the the role of the family, that the men are the head. That's why he's addressing fathers. But he's really talking to both sets of parents. But, But dads, here's what he's saying very, very clearly. You need to be engaged. And you set the tone for your family. You can't farm that off to mom and have her raise the kids while you're out doing your own thing. This is both parents in partnership. And he calls them to do two things. He says, don't provoke them to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The job is twofold, discipline and instruction. So what does that mean? Let's talk about uh, discipline first. That means to establish and protect godly values. That the role of the parents in their house is to establish God and his word as the authority, establish the values that are driven out of his word, and then protect them with consequences if kids go out of those bounds. Um, There's this really cool moment in the end of the book of Joshua where, um, you remember, um, Moses took the people out of slavery in Egypt and he took them to the edge of the promised land. But he never stepped foot in the promised land. And Joshua was called to take the people into the promised land. And he was like, when you think of Joshua, think of Mel Gibson from Braveheart. He was like a warrior king. He fought battles. He he destroyed the Canaanite armies. He was a man's man warrior. And at the end of his life, after he had kind of wiped out all of the enemies in the area, and it's actually the last time he addresses the nation of Israel before he dies, he says something amazing. It's in Joshua 24, verse 14. He says this. He says, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him with sincerity and faithfulness and put away the gods of your fathers that they served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the God of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I think that's such a beautiful picture of what discipline looks like. Like, listen, we are going to be a family that loves and serves and honors God. We believe that he's the highest authority. We believe that he is in control and we're gonna raise our kids in the discipline of the Lord and how we work and how we relate to one another as a family in our language, in our obedience, we're going to honor God. And again, when your kids step outside of these boundaries, you have to protect this by instilling consequences. Uh, Just this week, my son Bo right now, his favorite thing to do in the world is to shoot hoops with me. We got a little basketball hoop that we have in our playroom area. And every day he's asked, hey, can we play basketball? Can we play basketball? Can we play basketball? So Tuesday night before bed, he's like, hey, dad, when you get home from work tomorrow, can we play basketball? I was like, sure, we'll totally play basketball. And um, I got home from work and I found out that before I had gotten home, Bo um, was a jerk to his brother. And he was selfish and he was manipulative and he had Judah in tears just because he was being selfish. 
So I went to Bo and I'm like, hey, Bo, I was really looking forward to playing basketball with you today, but I can't honor and bless your disobedience. There has to be consequences. So you need to play with your brother and be kind. And if you do that, tomorrow we'll play basketball, but I'm not going to reward your selfishness. I've got to discipline and set boundaries. But here's the next part, and this part is so massive. You need to teach your kids the why behind the what's. That's instruction. In church, I would just ask, look at me for a second. This is the most important thing I'm going to say all morning. It's not enough to just give your kids the command or the rule. You've got to show them God's heart behind the command or the rule. Like, let me give you an example. If you tell your kids, hey, you're not allowed to swear, and your kids look at you and say, why not? If you don't have a good and compelling answer for them in that moment, you're not helping your kids. And it's not enough to say, because mom said so. You've got to explain the why behind the what, or you're actually setting your kids up for failure. And here's what I mean. Listen, we as Christians, what we believe is that God is the author and sustainer of life that he is our good shepherd. And the reason he gives us his word and his law is because he is leading us to green pastures and still waters that when we follow him, it is actually for our good and our joy and our best possible life. Like, listen, if you've been here this fall, you remember we walked through a Christian worldview series. And what we did that whole series, we were just putting up a mirror and we're saying, here's what secular humanism believes. Put yourself as the ultimate authority. Put yourself in the middle of your life and look at the fruit that that's producing in our society. Anger, frustration, anxiety, suicide, all sorts of unsatisfaction. It's not working. It's a failed experiment. And then we put up, this is what a Christian worldview says, that we live to love and know and honor Christ. And when we follow him, it leads to vitality and good relationships and joy. All we were trying to do is give you the why behind the what. So back to swearing, right? If you're like, hey, don't swear, and your kids are like, why? What you need to do in that moment is be like, because I need to teach you self-control. Because the Lord knows, and I know this too, that nothing can destroy relationships like a word set out of anger, right? That you can lose your temper and say things that you can never take back, and it will take months, if not years, to repair what a moment of a lack of self-control in what you said made. So, so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to protect you from broken relationships in the future by teaching you self-control. And that means you're not allowed to say these words no matter how you feel. I remember when I was in junior high, I'd gotten in trouble at school with my friends. I was in seventh grade and we were misbehaving. We were being disrespectful and we got in trouble and the teachers actually called our, our, our parents. So I got the classic from my mom, your dad will deal with you when, when he gets home. So I was sitting around waiting for my dad to get home. He gets home, he calls me into his office and he's like, Cal, what happened? And I just told him, I'm like, we were idiots. We were disrespectful. We were misbehaving. Everything they said was true. I know I'm in trouble. And and my dad goes, you know what? He goes, you're in seventh grade and you're under my house. So you're in 12th grade. He's like, I know there's a certain amount of stupid that I'm gonna have to put up with you for the next five years. He's like, junior high and high school boys are stupid. And, And he goes, I'm actually okay with you getting in trouble a little bit. He goes, just don't ever lie to me. And he goes, I'm just happy you told the truth and I'm gonna let you off. I'm gonna show you grace this time because what I care about is I need you to always tell me the truth because there's nothing more devastating to your life than starting to lie. 
And he goes, if you lie to me and mom, not only are you gonna break the trust in that relationship, but it's gonna chase you the rest of your life. It will destroy your marriage. It will destroy your ability to have a successful career. It will destroy your relationship with your kids someday. It, it, it is absolute cancer to your life. See what he was doing there? He was explaining the what, but also giving me the why that he was for me. And he wanted me to have a good life with healthy relationships. So he's like, just don't lie. And here's what I can say. Um, as a 35-year-old who's done ministry for a long time now, if you want to destroy your life, start lying to the people you love. There's nothing more devastating than being duplicitous and untruthful. He was giving me the what, but also the why. And listen, even when I'm talking with Bo this week and I'm teaching him about selfishness, I'm saying, Bo, selfish people are lonely people and they're miserable people. And I've got to get this selfishness out of you. I've got to discipline you for your selfishness because I want you to have a life full of friendships and happiness and, and, and joy. And if you're selfish, you're going to ruin that. And I'm trying to establish this early because I want him to know that I love him and I'm for him and that God loves him and that God's for him because there's going to come a day where he's gonna have this pretty girl that he has a crush on and he's gonna wanna date her and I'm gonna have to tell him, no, you can't date her because she's not a Christian. And God says, don't be unequally yoked and you need to love me and trust me that I have your good and your best intentions at heart. And so does the Lord. That's why he's given that command. And even though it's not what you feel, I need you to trust in God. And I can only do that if I consistently give both the what and the why. To bring your kids up in the instruction of the Lord means we have to do the hard work of teaching them that God loves them and that we love them. And that's why we're establishing godly values for them to build their lives on. Does that make sense? If you're with me, say, I'm with you. It's really, really hard work though. It's really, really easy just to say, because dad told you so, right? So as we kind of get ready to wrap up, um, this is, there's been a question I've been asked a lot. I think this is something that churches across the country are wrestling with. It's like, how do you raise up kids who genuinely love the Lord, right? All of us have this fear that we're gonna raise up kids and then they're gonna go off to college and they're gonna walk away. And I see that happen often, both in this church and around the country. And listen, I've had kids in my youth group, I've seen this go both ways. I've seen kids who come up through our youth group and the second they hit college, they want nothing to do with the Lord. They never darken the doors of a church again. They're off doing their own thing. And I've had seen other kids who have grown up and they um, have gotten married to someone in youth group and they've centered their lives around Jesus and they're plugged in and they're in small group and they're engaged and they're serving and they're growing in Christ. So what is the difference? Well, first of all, here's the hard truth. There's nothing you can do to guarantee your kid's salvation. I wish that were the case, but we have to remember that all of us are the Lord's first and we need to trust him with them but I do think there's some patterns that can be established and that I've seen, and here's what I've seen. Kids that grow up to genuinely love the Lord have parents who are present with them and consistent. They're present in their lives and they're a source of consistency. What I mean by present is, is that children know their parents loved them that they were there for them, that their kids were a priority, that they weren't second place or third place or fourth place in their life. Their parents established a healthy marriage and a healthy view of family. It was easy for them to believe that God loved them because their father loved them and was engaged in their life. 
And listen, I understand as your kids get older, as they get into junior high and high school, they don't want mom and dad around as much, do they? Right? They want friends and they want space and they want freedom. And listen, all of that is good and it's natural, but it doesn't mean that you stop being present in their life. And let me get really, really practical. Here's maybe a tough word I need to say right now. If you are not engaged with what your high schooler is listening to, who their friends are, or what their internet history is, you're an absent parent. If you're not deeply engaged and know who your kids are running with, what music they're listening to, and what they're doing online, you've abandoned your kids and you're setting them up for failure. And listen, I grew up in a house, I could listen to secular music. I'm not out on secular music at all, but you know that not all secular music's created equal, right? Right? There's stuff out there that is just dark and devastating to the soul that if you allow students to fill their minds with, it's going to bring them down a really, really dark path. I've told parents before that if you are not on top of your kid's internet, if you give them unaccounted for internet access at all time, basically what you're doing is is you've built a liquor cabinet in their room and stocked it full, and you're hoping they don't become an alcoholic. You're setting them up to fail. Listen, the kids aren't mature enough to navigate that with wisdom. They need your help, and they're probably not gonna like you for it in the moment, but they will respect you down the road. Your kids are gonna have lots of friends. They need parents. We have to be present. We have to be engaged. But maybe even more importantly, um, their parents were consistent. And what I mean by that is, is they lived what they believed. The kids could see in their parents a genuine love for Jesus and a genuine desire to center their lives and family around God and others. Church was a priority. Christian community was something that was sought after. They served others in the community. Um, Here's a big one. When the folks messed up and sinned against their parents, they asked for forgiveness. And listen, trust me, I know there's nothing more humiliating than having to go to your first grade son and be like, will you forgive daddy? He didn't treat you well, right? There's like something in us that's like, that's the last thing that I want to say. It's called pride. But if we believe that we're sinners saved by grace, what our kids need to see is that we model that we believe that we're sinners saved by grace. There was humility, there was kindness, Their parents modeled all of these things for them. They gave them grace and showed them that God forgives and loves us even when we don't deserve it. It's not that their parents were perfect, but they gave a compelling endorsement of Christianity to their kids. And here's what I mean. When their kids saw their parents, they're like, man, these people love Jesus and they love me well, and I wanna be like mom and dad, and I wanna get this Jesus thing right because I see how it's transforming their lives. So here's the question I wanna ask as we close. It's very, very simple. Does your life give a compelling endorsement of Christianity? I think that's a question we need to wrestle with right now. And I don't care if your parents or not, but I would encourage you, if you have kids right now, um, dads, I'm gonna call you onto the spot for this. I want you to have a conversation with your wife sometime before the end of the day that just asks this question, does our marriage give a compelling endorsement to Christianity? Will our kids see us and want to follow Jesus? And listen, it doesn't matter. Maybe you don't have kids yet and are trying to have kids or maybe you're not married yet or maybe you're empty nesters and now are thinking more about grandkids. I think this is still a worthwhile question. When people look at us, do they see people who genuinely love Jesus 
who have a hope that's anchored to him? And would people want to follow Jesus because they see what he's doing in our life and family? Let's do this, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Let me pray as we close. Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, this morning. Uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you for um, the ability to gather here together and worship you. And uh, God, I am um, just thankful for the conviction that your word gives us. And I would just ask that um, we would take it seriously. And I pray for those in the room that have children. God, I pray that they would live in a way that brings them up in the obedience and instruction of the Lord. God, I pray for those in this room who are children, that we would all honor our parents well, that we would obey well, that we would live in a way that honors you. We need your help in that. We love you. God, I just pray if there's people in this room struggling with the parent-child relationship, that they wouldn't be too prideful to reach out for help, that they would come to this church, that they would come to you as a source of counsel and wisdom and how to rightly navigate what can be really, really hard. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.